Welcome to the Top Gear magazine podcast, a peek behind the curtain of what it's really like to drive other people's cars for a living. These are the stories behind the stories. Hello, I'm Jack Ricks, and this is uh, another in our series of tales from the Top Gear, Top Gear's sizable archive. Um, we're calling them That Time We dot dot dot. Uh, the idea is we're going to go around, we're all going to take it in turns and, and tell the story of a, a feature we did in the past. It could be last year, it could be 10 years ago, but um, talk about obviously what happened, why we did it, how the story came about and what really happened on the day. And just to dig into it a bit more, because these are some of our favourite stories that we've ever done over the years. And this time uh, it's Rowan Horncastle in the hot seat. Um, oh. What are you going to talk about, Ro? I'm going to talk about that time I went to Japan to meet a man who went very, very fast on the A1M illegally um, because he was a bit of a childhood hero for me in the 1990s. This is a Japanese guy who came to the UK to go fast. Very, very fast. <laughs> a, he's a very interesting chap. Yeah, in the be, be, Before you say more, there will be an entire Max Power generation who will be screaming at their speakers now because they know exactly who it is. And a lot of people will be going, what? Who is this? Well, Max Power is is is, uh, is the title that brought him fame. But yes, it's Kazuhiko... Kazuh- oh, I can't even say it. <laughs> uh, uh, have yeah. a sip of water to go Perfect again. Perfect Japanese. <laughs> Kazuhiko Smoky Nagata. Oh, I think I hope I've said that right. But everyone just knows him as Smoky Nagata. And what happened? You, um, he he obviously famously did this this stunt on the uh, on the A1M. So we'll, we'll talk about that. But you obviously weren't there for that. That was many many years ago. I was four years old because this uh, this event <laughs> happened on. Uh, no, I wasn't. I was eight years old. So what know. on earth is the feature about? Ray? It was not. Is is nineteen ninety eight? So basically, myself and Mark Riccioni uh, grew up a bit obsessed with Japanese car culture and tuning etc and uh, yeah we spent our days flicking through max power which is uh, for the people who are younger it was a basically a tuning bible where they used to have gatso camera jousting they would ask you what your favorite color or orifice is and uh, just showed some pretty extreme cars and tuning during the 90s um, but also they helped egg this man in japan on to go very very fast in the uk um, and i would urge you all to go onto youtube now and look at the, basically, I'm pretty sure it would be VHS footage of this run because it starts with the most epic opening sequence of a lovely uh, no, kind of pastoral image of the, the landscape of must be around Rutland or Northamptonshire or somewhere like that. Some beautiful cows. And then a man doing a massive burnout on the street in a bright gold, a thousand horsepower. And that rather Supra. sets the tone for the film. <laughs> exactly. Uh, because from there, he then decides to do burnouts everywhere because this is a man who likes to, um, you know, to show off what he can do. But we were in Japan in 2019, I think, the end November 2019. And we thought we have to go and meet Smokey because there's a lot of, you know, hearsay about this story. And there were journalists at the time, but it's all kind of been a bit lost in the internet generation. So I thought, right, I need to get this from the horse's mouth. So just for the uninitiated, was this guy just a random car owner? Did he own a tuning company? Was he the was he a sort of masked cape crusader? Who was this guy, and how did he come to have a thousand horsepower Supra? Well, he's a man who he's incredibly meek and small, 
And um, he got his name Smokey Nagata because he's a habitual chuffer and loves a cigarette. But you would see him and you just think, this is just like a wise old man. But he's a man who doesn't really do well with authority because when he was younger he was always obsessed with cars and he grew up in Hokkaido in northern Japan where there's not much going on um, and he basically left school to um, illegally get hold of a, um, a car and then tune it up with the help of the local Toyota dealership so then he got thrown out of school for doing that but then the Toyota dealership took him on and he got uh, you know more invested with mechanicals and got into tuning wanted always to be a race driver knew that Hokkaido wasn't the place for him so he went down to Tokyo where he was um, employed by Trust who was a big tuning company there where he would then start tuning cars um, he wasn't allowed to do too much to start with just exhaust and bits and pieces but knew he was more capable than that so in the middle of the night he would then go and modify all the cars and take them out and drive them it was his little secret a top secret now the reason <laughs> that he uh, he was found out, but everyone knew that he was a, a needed employee, so they kind of turned a blind eye to it. But he would go out and tune all the early uh, late eighties, early nineties cars, um, and then he was eventually fired. But because of his little top secret of you know going out and, and and tuning and racing cars on the street, he then set up his own tuning shop called Top Secret, where you know they're famed for their gold cars because only winners get gold and he always wants to be the fastest car uh so he paints all his cars gold and basically puts as much power as he can into them to go as fast as possible which he was doing at the time on the streets of tokyo mm -hmm. so that was uh what what year are we talking now so we're still in the late 80s early 90s yeah. and mid 90s because you know it was like the perfect timing of where JDM cars would, you know, they had the gentleman's agreement about power, etc. But they were phenomenally well engineered for what you could do. So Supras, Skylines, yeah. So that's et right. They were all limited to sort of 280 horsepower, wasn't it? Yeah, 276, but... Mm. Pfft, you know. Gentleman's agreement yeah, yeah. out the window. <laughs> that wasn't enough for Smokey. Smokey <laughs> yeah. likes four figures. So he started <laughs> mix matching stuff because he would take, um, well, Nissan's famed RB engines and then put them in Toyotas and then he'd use the Toyota 2JZ, which is better for low-end torque uh, in some cars and then basically put them in the body that matched, which takes us to the Supra that he used and he shipped over here because... Um, you know, he came to fame in the UK because Max Power were over in Japan. And there's a very famous tunnel called the Aqualine, which I think is about nine kilometers long under the, under the sea in Japan. That was Smokey's test track because basically it's perfectly surfaced. There's no speed cameras in it. And it's basically like Aerolessian underground. He would then go and take his cars in the middle of the night and do over 200 miles an hour in um, R33 Skylines, R32 Skylines, etc. Um, and then... Uh, Max Power out there and saw what was possible, and then basically egged him on and said, "I think you should come to the UK and can't see and, any problems in it, Smokey. Um, we got this <laughs> lovely road, A1M, nicely surfaced. Well, they had a live event going on, and they would love him to be there because he just became a bit of a legend of the scene. And they thought, well, yeah, right, you know, his <laughs> bit of PR. Um, but while he was here, he was trying to speed in the UK. This is what makes it so naughty, isn't it? Because nowadays you find out about car culture, you know, Instagram and YouTube and, you know, everything's kind of really instant. But, I mean, back then you wouldn't have even, you know, early 90s or mid-90s, the Fast and Furious franchise hasn't even started yet. So it's a real kind of, it's a real sort of under-the-radar club of people who know about this kind of stuff going on, isn't it? But also you'd think he'd be like a slightly kind of 
gregarious and you know look at me look how fast he's the absolute opposite and just operates in the shadows and um but has a massive right addiction to speed but also doesn't really like people telling him no because if they tell him no he'll just go and do it so uh so just to tee up the story then what did he what did he manage to hit on the a1m and and what happened to him i assume he's not welcome on her majesty's roads anymore no so this is when you think about you know we've all used to the autobahn now um, but if you've seen the A1M, it's not a particularly well surfaced. It's a very straight bit of road. Well, can I offer a bit of local knowledge here? Because this is very, very close to where I grew up and where I live now. It's turf, and it is, it's the closest thing we've got to, in Britain to almost like, like a US interstate road because it's the only part of the A1, which is mostly two lanes wide, which if you're listening to this in other parts of the world where you have routinely three or four lanes of highway, you know, only a two lane wide, that's tiny isn't it that's a country lane but the a1m just for briefly just for about you know a few miles or so becomes this kind of like 10 lane wide super highway and it's sort of going romping across these the flatlands of um of the midlands and it's it it is about as straight and flat as a british road ever really gets yeah and wide and also yeah quiet because it's between some provincial you know it's on the way up to peterborough which yeah no points if you've not heard of that and there are well there certainly weren't in those days no speed cameras so you can see why how for max power which are also based up in that neck of the woods they would be thinking well you've got your test track underground in germany well we've got the equivalent over here yeah in in japan sorry yeah we've got one just over here well and it wasn't the perfect conditions let's just say that because on that night of november the 4th 1998 it was raining and it was just above freezing uh doesn't yeah and you've got a thousand horsepower rear-wheel drive supra um but then he just thought well sod it let's just do it so we had a few attempts Mm -hmm. first one um the the uh, the car was running a bit lean, so we couldn't really hit big speed. Next one, the bonnet tried to come off the car at 190 miles an hour, and then he had another go. And then everyone just says it near 200. He says 194 miles an hour is what he got. And then the blue lights started flashing in his rearview mirror, uh, and they caught up with him. Where he pulled over, and this is all on the video. Have you got see. any idea how fast you were going there, sir? <laughs> oh, 60, 65? But the best thing is he doesn't speak English. So he had no idea. And also, he, got... he voluntarily pulled over. I mean, if you're doing nearly 200 miles an hour, he could have easily got away. Not that we'd endorse it, but he could have got away from anything that the police would have had. And Can yet I he... just remind you, he's in a bright gold suit. Yeah. <laughs> it's not a very hard call to put out to say, where has anyone seen this no, car? But, but interesting to see your, your approach to... Uh... To law enforcement. Interesting. You just <laughs> run away, would you? <laughs> just very honourable of him to go. pull over. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But the officer's completely bemused by what was happening because when you see a car going nearly 200 miles an hour in the UK, well, you just don't see it. So it just it looks absolutely bizarre. But yeah, they pulled him over and then he was um, basically taken to the police station where he admitted to doing 120 miles an hour, yeah. which is still very, uh, very, very strong as a speeding fine in the UK. Uh, but he was banned from the UK for 10 years I think I believe it was mm-hmm. and then uh, he basically had to he became a celebrity overnight because it was all over the papers it was all over the, the, the news reports and then there was paparazzi outside his hotel so he snuck like stuck out the back of the hotel into a car and then got straight on a plane to get back to Japan where he said he was just praying for freedom. Banzai was a phrase that he used when uh, I was using the interpreter. But yeah, he basically got, well, not away with it, but he had a a one-month international uh, suspension of an international license, uh, £155 fine, which doesn't seem like anything nowadays, uh, and then a £35 court freeze. But then he became, went straight to the Hall of Fame of 
tuning legends. And as Ollie said earlier, this is before internet celebrity was a thing. He was like one of the OGs. This is before Roddy Pickering became a thing. The <laughs> woman who put a cat in a bin and Kim Kardashian. This guy has resonated with a whole generation because of this one act, which we do not condone. No, but don't feat, try. I, I have a feeling the police might not be so lenient these days if you went anywhere near trying this again. So Well, you just wouldn't be able to on the A1M now anyway, because A, it's Or anywhere, busy. for that matter. Yeah. yeah, well, anyway, you wouldn't even so want to try this it. this guy basically fled the country. What happened to his mad one-off car? Well, as PR goes, look at, well, you know, it was a bit like the McMurtry Spearling. No one heard, has heard of you or doing anything. Do something really fast, and everyone has. So it caught the attention of everyone. Then, naturally, it shows that this man can tune cars very well to be pretty bulletproof uh so top secret then you know the orders came in for everyone who wanted a fast japanese car to have one um i believe someone in dubai was so amazed with the feat that they said look i want to buy that car straight away um and it went there and then he's also well smokey's known for a few cars and they can get a bit confused because the supra that ran that night had a nissan rb engine in it but also he had uh, other ones with two Jay Z engines and one Jay Z engines as well. But he's had R32s, but he also made a V12 Supra where he put a Century engine, the, the, the Toyota yeah, Century engine. Yeah, and, yeah. In, in, into that. Potentially um, the most Japanese car ever, combining two automotive legends to, into one thing. Because he wanted to go really fast everywhere and it just wasn't in the UK. Yeah. So at Yatabe, he set various records and then he's even shipped cars over to Europe to Nardo where I think giant circular test track in southern Italy where the Jaguar XJ220 did 217 miles an hour of Martin Brundle, that one. Yeah, Mad uh, place. Yeah, because I, I can't remember which car it was that he did it, but he took it there to do 250 or attempt it in, an, I think it was an R33 or the R35 or anyway. But anyway, he couldn't do it at Nardo. It went all the expense to go to Europe, so he just took it to the Aqualine <laughs> in Japan and just went faster on the street anyway. So, yeah, um, if yeah. in doubt. Do it, do it in your own uh, home home turf. But yeah, we went and met him at his facility, which is in Chiba. Where well, wait, how, wait, how, wait, did, wait. how did you track him down? Good question. Just follow the the, the smell of B and H, right? Well, exactly. <laughs> that, <laughs> it's like there's a new pope. You just look for the chip, the chip <laughs> smoke. Uh, no, I think it was via the means of Instagram and locals, etc. But he's still running Top Secret, the tuning company. So it went via them. But to get hold of him is, is quite tough. And also, you know, he doesn't speak any English. So we went via translators and went to the facility, which if you're into that era of car, is still just full of 32s, Supras, 33s, but also 35s because he's still in the game now. Um, making ridiculously fast cars and he wants to make Japan's fastest car out of the R35 where he wants to do 250 miles an hour and he's probably not far off it to be honest with you. Yeah. So Probably uh, in the aqua line again. So tell us about the when you're approaching him. Are you? It's a little bit like, uh, you know, meeting a hero, right? This sort of cult figure that you've sort of seen over the years and you you must be walking up to the, was it like an industrial estate, just a big... It is. It's in the middle of nowhere and like everything in Japan, it just takes you by surprise because outside there's just... <laughs> lines of cars and spare wheels and so everything that would just be stolen in the UK if it was on, uh, wasn't tied down just left outside which is a good hint that he's there I have to be honest my biggest worry because you know it's been over 20 years is um, well no not over 20 years but yeah has he given up smoking because it's frowned upon nowadays or has he gone into vaping or something like that 
Good. It hasn't. No, because the first thing I said for photographs, can you please be smoking at all times? Which caused a bit of BBC bother of no. policy. But well, actually, uh, we made a virtue of it. So you, uh, in the layout of the the feature that went in the magazine, the the headline, well, the 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 portrait shot for the for the opening spread of the, of the feature is fantastic. It's him leaning over, taking a chug on a fag, and the smoke peeling off the cigarette is curling into the um, curling into the headline, which is Smokey the Bandit. Uh, it's a fantastic, it's a really memorable feature opener. I'll never forget that. Yeah, yeah. Portrait photo by Mark Riccioni, who w- was loving it. As ever, it was during a um, quite a stressful day of managing to do seven features in a day or something. But we had to meet him. And uh, yeah, he was one of the coolest dudes. They say never meet your heroes. I did and I loved it. So Yeah. And was he... Uh, uh, oh, sorry, my watch. Was he... Um, easy to talk to you're talking through a translator right when you're getting one word answers and he sounds like a laid-back chap he's hardly going to stand up and regale the entire story is he no but he's enthusiastic he's enthusiastic and it, it did strike me that no one had done it before especially in this era of you know youtube and creating content and doing interviews and podcasts what what did he make of what he'd done back then uh he knew it was naughty he, he <laughs> said that but he also didn't really care at the same time because I think it's just been his attitude throughout life is that he wants to you know to just do what he wants to do and if anyone gets in the way so be it but yeah it's, it's amazing because he he doesn't go around saying I'm the guy who did 200 miles an hour in the UK um he just sees it as quite normal um but yeah good guy yeah, good guy <laughs> well, it's fa- absolutely fascinating to go meet and there must be other there must be other underground tuning legends in Japan well it's to go and see. It, well it is something that Mark and myself have been working on because it is basically a bunch of enthusiasts from that generation who were all young into cars and then they were so passionate that they ended up tuning themselves and they ended up making some of the world's you know most famous tuning companies now they're all friends they're all of the same age and generation and unfortunately they're only getting older so a lot of their stories aren't documented so we went and spoke to Veilside and people like that too but uh, you know, it's well known that this was a scene that doesn't really exist anymore. So their story needs to be told. But Japan was this faraway place that was locked away. But it's just full of nuggets and stories and gems. And they're, I think, the most passionate car fans that I've ever met. Yeah. Well, fantastic. All right. Well, I look forward to your next um, trip. To, when are you going to Japan next? You're due, you're due a content haul, aren't you? Yeah, Japan? April. April's always a nice time to go there. So, uh, yeah, we'll have to, have to yeah. see. Yeah. Cherry blossoms. Cherry blossoms yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Not for that, no. But, uh, no, Mark Richen has actually just been there. Um, yeah. for He was there for Tokyo Water Salon, which happens in January. He's just come back with some amazing stories, um, which will be featured in Tokyo Magazine to come. And, and yeah. Tokyo.com, yeah, there's 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 a, a ton of amazing stuff. I don't quite know how Mark and Rowan do it, but every time they go to Japan, they seem to just embed themselves in the car culture and come back with every every tuning shop, every story, every interesting and bizarre car that they have in Japan, which is quite a lot. Um, and so, yeah, lo- loads of fresh Japanese content to come, but... but um, is this story online, right? This story is online, yeah. So if you just type in smoking cigar to Top Gear, it would, it would come up. But also on the point of Mark's latest haul, you know, he's there. There is a, a whole like, well, it must be a tiny, tiny niche for its um, whole purpose. But is the uh, there's a a pocket of BTCC 
uh, enthusiasts there who've now gone and made their own 1990s BTCC cars and drive them on the road. So Mark's gone and photographed all of those guys while they're all in Nomex and helmets on the street. And it just looks absolutely <laughs> bizarre because they should be at Mallory Park or somewhere like that. But instead, they're in Chiba and, you know, um, around the Tokyo area. Outside of 7-Eleven. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. So all of us who used to play Tocker on the, on, the, on the computer and for the British touring cars, there's now like an outpost in Japan where they're living it. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> where Rydell's their hero. So that's fine. <laughs> Great stuff. Okay. All right. We'll leave it there. Um, Ollie Q, you're up next. So you better get thinking. All right. Great one. See you on the next one. Thank you for listening to the Top Gear Magazine podcast. Hope you enjoyed that. And don't forget to subscribe, to leave us a review, to leave us a star rating. But also check out what is in the rest of the feed because as well as interviews, we've got our monthly uh, behind the curtain look into the issues that we make. And also there's some new audio tidbits coming. So like Jack says, subscribe.